Hey there, hi there, ho there, dear listener. This is Junie. I am coming to you with episode seven of the Tata Cancer podcast. Today we're going to be talking about breast cancer and hormone health. So we're going to kind of be doing a little bit of a crash course in the major hormones that affect the development and prevention of hormone positive breast cancer. So if you were diagnosed and they, they call it ER or PR or ERPR positive breast cancer, then you have a hormonally driven cancer. And we're going to talk about what that means and some things that you should really pay attention to in your prevention plan. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm gonna be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a lot of ground to cover today because hormones are super complicated. Um, But just to give you a little bit of update on what's going on in my world, um, I talk a lot about meditation and I'm super excited because I just started this meditation teacher training through the Unplug Meditation Studio that's here in Los Angeles. It's one of the, I guess it's was the first ever drop-in meditation studio. They do a lot of great live classes, studio classes, and they also have an app online. And it's led by a really well-respected meditation teacher and um, guided meditation individual named David G. I love him. Check him out on Insight Timer or the Unplug app. He is some great stuff. So I am going to be getting certified so I can really, really bring information to you all and incorporate into my practice because it's it's really changed my life and I think it should be a part of anybody's health plan because stress management is key. And we will talk about that a little bit on today's episode. Um, Otherwise, I'm just chilling. It's been super pretty here in Los Angeles. We're already back up to low to mid 70 degree weather, even though it is like we're in the dead of winter. And um, just kind of getting out and about. I went on a date, if you can believe it. Um, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but it was fun for me to go on a date. I've been kind of nervous about getting back out there, but I I bit the bullet, broke the seal, went on a date, and I had fun, you know? 
I had, I had a lot of fun. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. And honestly, if it was just one date, I, I kind of, like, I feel super detached from the outcome. And I will say meditation, baby, helps you stay detached from expectation and outcome and really just helps you enjoy things as they are. But okay, let's let's get into this, the meat and potatoes of today's episode. So if your type of cancer is estrogen or progesterone positive, what that means is that your breast cancer cells have receptors that can receive signals from those hormones that could promote their growth. So the potentially the imbalance of those hormones because estrogen and progesterone really they it's like a seesaw they have to be in a good balance in order for things to work harmoniously to minimize symptoms and to prevent the overgrowth or um, this accelerated growth of these cells and it's also why once you have completed treatment as an ERPR positive breast cancer patient that you'll likely be offered hormone therapy that inhibits the production or blocks the effect of these hormones on the breast tissue. So that might look like tamoxifen, that might look like an aromatase inhibitor, that might look like shots to shut down your, your ovaries from creating these hormones. There's so many different things. And around two out of three cases of breast cancer test positive for hormone receptors. So what exactly is a hormone? So hormones are chemical messengers and they are extremely potent. They are created in the adrenals, in the ovaries. The um, They are controlled by the brain and they affect organs and tissues. They can affect everything from, you know, the your metabolism, your moods, your ability to carry a pregnancy to term, the the shape of your body, the gosh, there's just I mean it's so far reaching. It's it's really really interesting, and there are three types of estrogen that a woman's body makes. So there's estradiol, estriol, and estrone. So estradiol is the primary estrogen in a premenopausal non-pregnant woman. Estriol is the weakest and least estrogenic of the three endogenous estrogens. Those are the estrogens made in the body. And it's the primary estrogen during pregnancy. It's also important for vaginal health. So you know what when a lot of women go on these hormone blockers or during menopause, they'll experience vaginal dryness or potentially pain during intercourse. That can indicate that the estriol is low. Estrone is uh, more of an immediate hormone and it's made from other hormones like DHEA or testosterone. And that hormone almost immediately converts to estradiol. So these three types of estrogen vary in terms of how estrogenic they are. And what that means is that some are more growth promoting and generally more potent than others, but in excess or in an imbalance, estrogens can stimulate cancer growth. 
Estrogen does a lot of wonderful things for us as well. I mean, in this context, it sounds kind of like, oh man, I hate estrogen. (laughs) But estrogen is what gives women their curves, their soft skin, their higher pitched voice. Clearly, estrogen has a major job in a woman's menstrual cycle. And during the first half of the menstrual cycle, estrogen is really kind of waking up the progesterone receptors so that progesterone can have an optimal effect when it's produced after ovulation. And estrogen is stimulating to the nervous system. It helps us build that uterine lining. It helps us build the placenta. They benefit bone health which is why a lot of women in their menopausal years have to deal with osteoporosis or osteopenia because, um, you know, it's not as promoting that bone health. It affects your mood, your memory, your sexual function, and even your energy levels. Now, most of our estrogens are going to be made in the ovaries, but they'll also be made in the placenta during pregnancy, in the breasts, and the adrenal glands. And, you know, women also make male hormones, but their fat cells transform them into estrogens. And this is particularly true of belly fat. So belly fat is the primary provider of estrogen in a menopausal woman. So this may be of comfort to some people, but it benefits you in your menopausal years to have a little bit of that belly fat. You don't want to be super low body fat. Otherwise, you may have trouble with your estrogen levels being too low. Now, that being said, a woman in her 20s or younger who is underweight or just going super crazy on the CrossFit or doing a really strenuous exercise all the time uh, without giving her body adequate time to recover, she might have such little estrogen that she stops having her periods, which may make her unable to get pregnant or um, dealing with the beginning of osteoporosis, even at a young age. So we have to be conscious of this balance. Uh, And a woman who is overweight, this this is the primary factor behind why a healthy weight is considered a major recommendation for breast cancer prevention. Because if you make too much estrogen and there's an imbalance with the complementary hormone of progesterone, then you, you're going to see this imbalance and you're going to potentially drive those cancer cells to proliferate. Now, there are other types of estrogens that we're exposed to that are made outside of the body. So those are called exogenous estrogens, which... Endogenous means it's made internally in your body. Exogenous means something that you're exposed to through an external source. So there are plant estrogens, like what you would find in soybeans, flaxseed, red clover. And then there's something called xenoestrogens. So this is that BPA found in plastic bottles, found in the Starbucks plastic lid that you're drinking hot coffee through, found in your cleaning products, found in pesticides, and even that Target receipt. It's the the ink uh, that is considered a xenoestrogen and that can really throw your body out of balance. There are also a couple other things that affect our estrogen levels. So if you're taking an estrogen-based birth control pill, 
then you are you know manipulating your hormone levels that way and genetics genetics do play a part in this lifestyle choices environmental exposures your diet they're going to affect the way you metabolize estrogens and this is why fiber is super important in a breast cancer prevention protocol as well because it allows your body to flush out these harmful estrogens or the overproduction of estrogen. So this is why we talk about um, being able to poop on the daily (laughs) as well as detoxify, sweat things out, um, go in a sauna, just get regular exercise but we really want to have that digestive system flushing out those harmful estrogen metabolites. And certain genetic types can have more trouble doing this. So you may need to supplement, you may to you may need to be even more vigilant about your fiber intake. One of the most fascinating things I believe about hormones is how they affect our mood and too much or too little estrogen can have an effect on your mood in some women. Now that may contribute to low libido. You might feel frazzled, frustrated, fatigued, have trouble thinking, be anxious, irritated because this is a, it's, it's a stimulating hormone. So what happens about 12 days after ovulation is typically you're going to get this surge of estrogen's best friend, progesterone. So if we've ovulated in this second half of the cycle, this progesterone is going to come up. It's going to calm things down. It is calming a calming hormone. It helps prevent too much tissue from building up in the uterus It also protects the breasts against these estrogen-stimulating issues. Um, So some women may experience fibrocystic breasts, um, but you also, it, it protects against breast cancer, promotes thyroid function, helps balance your blood sugar, prevents water retention, also builds bone, and reduces anxiety. So the luteal phase of your cycle is when these progesterone levels will rise. And um, many women might feel an increase in their libido. You also need to have sufficient levels of progesterone in order to maintain a pregnancy. So I often recommend to women who are having trouble with miscarriages to look at their progesterone levels and to make sure that things are in balance. If you have trouble sleeping, that can also be indicative of low progesterone or an estrogen dominance situation. So what is estrogen dominance? This is something I think really needs to be talked about more because I'm not sure if I know any woman that doesn't have at least some symptoms of estrogen dominance. And some of the symptoms of this can be breast cancer breast tenderness, copper excess, decreased sex drive, depression with anxiety or agitation, early onset of menopause, endometrial or uterine cancer, 
fat gain or weight gain, especially in the area of the abdomen, the hips and the thighs, fatigue, foggy thinking, hair loss, headaches, really heavy periods or irregular periods, memory loss, mood swings, PCOS, premenopausal bone loss, and the list goes on and on and on and on. (laughs) Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And what causes this situation? So as women move into their late 30s and 40s, your overall progesterone levels are going to start to drop a little bit, but your estrogens still may be a bit high. And one of the reasons why that can happen is because you're going to have more frequent anovulatory cycles. And what that is, is when ovulation, which triggers this rise and fall of progesterone, doesn't occur. So they call that luteal insufficiency. And so if the estrogen, even if the estrogen levels aren't that high, if the ratio is off, you're going to have this imbalance where this driving and stimulating estrogen isn't getting enough of this calming progesterone to come in and chill things out. If you're in menopause, ovulation is going to stop completely. And if the estrogens remain high enough, then you're going to see this imbalance. So I, I believe this is probably a major driver of breast cancer in menopausal women, which is much more common. But what we're seeing in these younger breast cancer cases, I believe is due to an overly stressed life, the imbalance of blood sugar that causes stress in the body, and so much exposure to these xenoestrogens in all of these environmental factors. Also, women who are breastfeeding are going to have lowered hormone levels for weeks or maybe even months because, uh, you know, what the body is doing. A few other factors that can contribute to this would be liver health. So this is another reason why alcohol consumption is not recommended or at least recommended to be minimized because your liver is a major player in detoxing these dirty estrogens. So if your liver is overwhelmed, you're not going to have the power to efficiently metabolize. Now, gut flora, the microbiome, that is, is a major player as well. It helps you absorb your nutrients, produce certain vitamins. And there is a certain type of microflora called the estrobolome or estrobolome, which is in charge of metabolizing all of the various forms of estrogen. So if your gut microflora is out of balance and there aren't enough beneficial estrobolome bacteria to break down estrogen, then that may create a bit of a backup in the bloodstream, which can also cause this estrogen dominance. So eat those probiotic foods, sauerkraut, kombucha, kimchi, yogurts. Uh, And if you don't like the taste of those things, then take a really high quality probiotic. This one actually isn't brought up that much, but if you don't have a gallbladder or your body isn't making a sufficient amount of bile, which is essentially like a digestive 
juice. That organ is, is important in hormone balance because what it does, it stores bile and that's used to digest fats. It also helps the liver excrete the hormones that help you detox those dirty estrogens again. So if you had your gallbladder removed and you don't supplement with, I don't know, like an ox bile or um, some kind of a digestive aid, then you may not be making sufficient amounts of bile and you can develop some seemingly unrelated health issues, but uh, it can lead to estrogen dominance. So a lot of women, when they're having hormonal symptoms and they talk to their doctor about it, they're either prescribed birth control pills or potentially a synthetic hormone replacement therapy. Sometimes they call that HRT. And, you know, birth control pills are made with these synthetic estrogens that disrupt your hormones. They prevent ovulation. They prevent pregnancy. And what they're doing is they're keeping those estrogen levels consistently high and that is very estrogen dominance promoting. So if you have really heavy periods and you go and complain to your doctor about that, which clearly um, that would be a frustrating situation, and they prescribe you a birth control pill or they, you have another issue and they subscribe some kind of synthetic hormone replacement therapy to try to manipulate the balance of these hormones, it's essentially like putting a Band-Aid on a festering wound because you're not dealing with the root cause. You're masking it. So it's important to note that hormone replacement therapy, I mean, if you're estrogen or progesterone positive, it's highly unlikely you're going to be getting that. But you may have gone on some type of hormone replacement therapy or have a, a medical history of using birth control pills, which may have contributed to the imbalance in the first place, which led to the breast cancer. So you have to be really careful with that. And um, I think women are given these medications. I mean, it, it's classic like we're dealing with the symptoms we're not dealing with the cause there should be no shame in this I'm not trying to shame anybody for doing this and obviously if you're trusting your doctor um, you know it's not your fault if this is the treatment that you were given but we do have to acknowledge that this may be contributing to a lot of the breast cancer that we're seeing and um, especially as women start getting diagnosed more and more often at a younger age, I think we just need to look at how often doctors are prescribing and potentially not looking at other risk factors or addressing where the imbalance might be occurring. And if you catch it early enough, you can typically reverse a lot of these symptoms through diet and lifestyle. Does everybody want to put in the effort? No, but the reality is you may make your situation worse. And so we're going to talk about ways that we can deal with it. But I first want to address how do you find out if you have estrogen dominance? How do you check these hormone levels? So there are some tests that you can have done in a lab in order to test your hormone levels, but it's tricky. It's tricky. So like if you go to the doctor and you ask them to test you for this, they may 
give you a blood test, um, which they can potentially look at steroid hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHA, DHEA levels, and cortisol. But these types of tests in the blood can be really misleading and inaccurate. Because blood testing is not going to let you see the levels for more than a brief period in time. It's basically just a snapshot. And because we're women, (laughs) there is this ebb and a flow that happens throughout the day. And it's also only going to measure the total hormones in your bloodstream, but not the free values that show you how much of that hormone is, is actually available that you can use. And another thing to keep in mind is that inflammation could be blocking the the hormone receptor. So even if that hormone is present, it potentially can't be utilized. So numbers could look fine on this hormone blood draw, but you might just be totally miserable with symptoms. Now, the caveat to this is that blood testing is ideal for testing blood sugar levels like your fasting glucose, insulin, and A1C. Um, also, like your some of your thyroid hormones, antibodies, if, if you uh, like have Hashimoto's or something like that. Typically, though, I would say blood test is, is kind of a waste of time. Now, the next best option would be a saliva test, which I've done this before and it was, it was really gross. Like it, I literally had to spit in a tube a couple times a day and then you send it into the lab. Um, this type of test is good for an accurate reading of progesterone levels. and um, But the saliva tests are still a bit limited because they're not going to show you how your body is metabolizing estrogens or the level of these quote unquote dirty estrogens. And, um, what you really want to, or I guess the gold standard, at least in the functional or holistic medicine world is a urine test. There's something called the Dutch test. You can order that on your own, but it does need a practitioner to interpret it, someone trained in that. And what they're looking at there, depending on the the type of test that you order, are steroid hormones, progesterone, estrogen, DHEA, testosterone, and cortisol. And what DUTCH stands for is dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. I've also done that as well. And what you're doing is you're peeing on this little strip of paper at very particular times of the day. So like there's a, a, when you wake up, you pee on this and it can look at, you know, what is, what are your levels there? And then throughout the day, um, there is a kind of a strict protocol that you have to follow in order for uh, the testing to be accurate. But it'll give you a much better picture, a much bigger picture. And it's also going to kind of show you how your liver is breaking down the estrogen, what metabolites you're producing, how you're converting your testosterone to estrogen. And it's also wonderful for your getting an idea of what your adrenal health is. So is your cortisol too low? Is it too high? Is it crazy high in the morning? Is it crazy low at, high at night? And is that why you can't sleep? Things like that. So it really helps inform a practitioner or a doctor in terms of how to address your specific situation. But at the end of the day, I am a huge fan of 
really looking at your symptoms with hormone health because it is so hard to get a really accurate idea of what's going on. You can potentially take a quiz online or, you know, read articles. And if you're having, let's say you get migraine headaches, typically around the time that your period comes, you've got a history of ovarian cysts, fibroids, breast lumps, endometriosis, um, your periods are super heavy and painful. You've got a lot of bloating uh, in the belly or ankle area. You hold water, you just sleep issues. Um, gosh, what else? Itchy or restless legs, hot flashes, difficulty falling and staying asleep. Uh, your skin is um, has lost its fullness or it's dry. You got a lot of fat around your hips. We've kind of talked about this. Um, melasma is also a good indicator, which is that the browning of your face in certain areas. Usually it's like the forehead, um, the chin below the nose. Um, maybe you have just a lot of crying spells for no reason. You know, I think most women know that weepy feeling. If that's something that you see a lot, having a lot of miscarriages in the first trimester or mid-cycle spotting, then you can be pretty sure that you've got some kind of hormonal imbalance going on. And it could very well be estrogen dominance. Either way, a lot of the hormone balancing protocols are the same. So now that I've probably freaked you out or convinced you that you have some kind of hormone imbalance, which just FYI, it's really hard in such a stressful world and such a stressful time that we're in right now, particularly, to have perfect hormone balance. I think it's more rare to have that than to not have imbalanced hormones. But never fear. <laughs> there is so much that you can do to balance hormones and the greatest thing about that is, is if you balance your hormones, I mean, life just gets better. <laughs> I mean, you know that woman that you know who just glows? That woman probably has really balanced hormones. And, um, you know, her, her body composition is good. She seems calm, cool, collected, intelligent, confident. Um, her hair is lush. Her skin looks good. That woman is an example of hormonal health. I'm going I'm to go ahead and, and bet on that. And food is really at the foundation. You know, and, and these recommendations, I feel like a broken record because they, they really are so similar for so many different issues. Now, I think the reason why that goes in one ear and out the other is because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of people. It can be overwhelming, but take it in bite-sized pieces. And most of us have to hear things many, many times before it actually sinks in. So hopefully this is of use to you. But you need to eat a healthy diet and that's going to look different for you than the next person. What a very athletic, um, high-stress woman needs to eat will be quite different from a woman who may have a lot of abdominal fat and um, a, a quite a sedentary life. But the important thing is to have blood sugar 
balance. That's going to be one of the biggest ways that you remove stress from your diet. You also obviously, again, say this all the time, eat a wide variety of foods. You want to, I mean, just eat the rainbow. That's such a good way to to visualize your diet and make it a game. Make it a work of art. When you go into your fridge, does it look does it look, you know, like a pride parade in there? I mean, hopefully it does. And that's beautiful. That makes for really beautiful meals. But you want to have, you know, I I like to tell people build around the the protein go for, you know, palm-sized portion of protein and then fill the rest of your plate mainly with these brightly colored vegetables, potentially some fruit, adding in a good quality fat. Again, I love olive oil, avocado oil, walnuts, flax seeds, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, nuts, butter, really good quality grass-fed butter, And if you are on the leaner side, then add a portion of a complex carbohydrate like sweet potato or maybe some, a little bit of quinoa, some, uh, what else? Let's see, I don't know, white potatoes, an apple with some nut butter. That's that's like a a really delicious dessert. Just make sure you, you have some fat there. And yeah, like I said, that would be particularly important for someone who has a lower body fat percentage, maybe someone who's breastfeeding or pregnant, who has a lot of stress going on or is dealing with some really intensive sleep issues. Adding carbohydrates specifically to your dinner may really help you with that in terms of balancing out this cortisol. So eating the right diet for you, which you can find through experimentation, you can find through working with a practitioner like myself, dietitian, somebody like that, that's going to be great. Focus on some of these probiotic foods, try to get those in. I love a uh, yogurt parfait. I, I do a coconut yogurt typically because I try to minimize dairy in my diet. But one of my favorite breakfasts or what I actually had today, this is, you can do this with yogurt or you can make a cheese seed pudding. I'll do like a third of a can of coconut milk, three tablespoons of chia seeds. And then I take a very small handful of frozen berries. I throw that in there, put it in the fridge overnight. I'll usually make a couple of those. So I have it um, throughout the week. And then when I'm ready to eat it, I'll top it off with some slivered almonds, some walnuts. Uh, It's delicious. And it, it feels, it almost feels like a treat. But what you've got in there is some good fats from the coconut milk, from the chia seeds, from the nuts. You've got the fiber from the chia seeds. That really helps me in my digestion. And uh, from the berries, you've got the antioxidants from the berries. And you got uh, that yummy, healthy, um, creamy texture. And it's really satiating for me to eat that. But if you're somebody who does well with dairy, instead of the chia seed pudding, use a full fat Greek yogurt. That's delicious. And you can change it up, you know, make it, make it the way that you want. Just, um, try to find the balance there. The chia seeds aren't going to have that probiotic element to it, but I'm somebody who loves, um, fermented foods. So I never have trouble (laughs) working in sauerkraut. Um, I might do that on 
like a high fiber paleo bread. I love um, the brand Base Culture. Oh, it's so good. If, if you're like me and your body really is very carb sensitive and uh, you tend to, you know, struggle with body composition, um, Base Culture ketogenic bread is is to me (laughs) it's really satisfying I love it they've got a three seed one that's really good and I typically just eat the plain one smash some avocado on top drizzle a little flax oil maybe throw an egg on top of that or on the side and it's like so yummy oh and and you cannot forget the everything bagel seasoning I literally just paused the recording so I could go eat that (laughs) because it sounded so good but that's a typical super fast those are both two really easy really fast breakfasts that you can do and um, lunch and dinner for me often look pretty similar and are based on the um, plate that I mentioned before that you're building around the protein and the brightly colored vegetables in terms of exercise what I'd like to say today that is a little bit different than what I typically talk about because with breast cancer patients, it's recommended and survivors, it's recommended that you get 150 minutes spread out through the week of moderate intensity exercise so that you can sweat out, help detoxify your body, which is going to love on your liver, which is going to help with these estrogen metabolites and all that fun stuff. But the thing that I, th- I think a lot of women do is they overexercise because we're taught in our world to exercise like a man. Women are very sensitive creatures hormonally, especially if you are premenopausal. You know, your body is constantly on alert as to whether or not you're in danger whether you can carry a child, even if you don't want a child or you're not trying to have a child, the body is going to be really sensitive to that. So, and I've fallen into this trap myself. Uh, I love to exercise. It was something that I started cultivating later in life and I just really felt the benefit of it mentally and I wanted to be ripped. That's been one of my dreams (laughs) my whole life. Um, I wanted to be ripped and, um, The thing with exercise, unfortunately, most women can't exercise with the same intensity or frequency as our male counterparts. And it can be really stressful on your body. So some things that you may want to look at with that are, you know, are you feeling this major drop in energy? couple hours afterwards, do you find that you just have a really hard time recovering? Um, are, is sleep is a really good indicator of this and you may be really stressing your body out. And it's something that is going to fluctuate during different periods of time and depending on the stress levels that are going on beyond that. Exercise can be a really great way to deal with stress, but if you're over-exercising, oh, and losing your period, that's another huge indicator that your body is overly stressed. And if you are training for a marathon or something like that and and you lose your period, then you may need to pull back a little bit. And this is particularly difficult for a lot of people because there is an endorphin rush that you get from exercise, which is kind of addicting. Um, 
it feels good. It helps you. It sometimes helps you feel calm, but there's just, you have to be careful with exercise and there's a sweet spot. And I think intuitively you'll know if you're in the sweet spot or not. But what I like to tell people is just go for variation. If you're going to do a hard workout, then the next day do some yoga or do something that's more like an active recovery. Do a different type of exercise so that you're not stressing the same muscle groups or tendons and joints. You know, find ways to cross train, but the chronic cardio that a lot of people do or, you know, five days a week of CrossFit, that's that's a lot. That's asking your body to do a lot. If you truly feel you're handling it fine, fantastic. But if you're having symptoms of hormonal imbalance, like we've discussed, one of the areas you're going to have to address, as much as you might hate it, is the frequency of exercise that you're doing. So keep that in mind. And that kind of segues us into just managing stress. It's such a hard one for so many people, especially right now. But I promise you, if you make time, carve out one minute, three minutes, five minutes to just lock yourself in the bathroom. I don't know if you have kids. And just focus on your breath. Breathe in and out. Try to do this multiple times a day. If you wake up, one of the first things that I recommend doing, even before you get out of bed, even before you start any of these morning rituals, get in a quick meditation session. If you frame your day in that way, it will make a difference. And in the next solo episode, we're going to talk about the scientific background of meditation um, just so we can you can really see. And then I'm going to show you some different meditations that you can do. But it's, it's one of the most life-changing things that you can possibly do. And uh, as you progress in your meditation journey, Adding another meditation between two and six, if possible, is a fantastic way for you to basically download and heal from what's happened during your day because there are so many unmet needs that come up on a regular basis, whether we're even conscious of it. Um, It's just life, right? So you being able to heal that, uh, the meditation teacher I'm working with right now, he calls that second meditation of the day the healing session. And as opposed to doing a meditation right before bed that you might fall asleep to before you even finish, doing a session in that other window, two to six, can help you be more present when you eat dinner. Uh, It's not creating this enormous gap between the start of your day or the first meditation session that you had and the second meditation session. I know I'm probably... You're like, I, I don't even, <laughs> I'm not even doing the first one. I, I can't even talk to you about the second one. Is as you, like I said, as you progress in your meditation journey, which I truly hope that you do, it is uh, really a beautiful moment to take. And uh, you will feel different as a result. 
You also know I love journaling, doing that brain dump, whether it's early in the morning or whenever, whenever you just feel really caught up in your thoughts, that's always a great resource for you. Another thing I want to bring up about stress, because I do talk about the management of stress so much on this podcast, is the importance of community and just, I was talking with some of my friends the other day and we're all sort of in semi-self-imposed lockdown just because uh, Omicron is raging throughout Los Angeles still. And we will get together not that often just because we're, a lot of them have kids and we're trying to be careful. When we do get together, we typically do a rapid test and obviously if anybody has symptoms, we don't hang out. But, but just that time together and you know we're laughing we're talking we're giving each other updates on our life we're supporting each other we're hyping each other up that is such a nourishing experience and it tides me over until the next time I see them and um, I'm so grateful for that so whether it's a virtual hangout that you have going to the cancer support community center that you belong to to be with your breast cancer support group or emailing the women that were in your breast cancer support group if you've moved beyond treatment and you're no longer in a group. All of these things are really helpful for just grounding us, countering stress, helping us feel connected And that in turn is going to turn on these good hormones and uh, really help you find balance. So we've talked about food. We've talked about gut health. We've talked about loving on your liver. Um, We've talked about, let's let's see, so what else is there? Um, Minimizing these exposures to the xenoestrogens. You know, there's some great brands out there, Seventh Generation, Mrs. Myers, uh, anything that uh, you find on the Environmental Working Group apps, uh, Think Dirty, anything that you buy at the grocery store, you can scan it and it's going to tell you what's in there uh, and whether or not that it contains hormone disruptors. So being conscious of that. There are some great brands out there with the, for clean beauty. Um, I also just found a new fragrance line. I'm trying out right now because that's one of the things I miss um, once I turn my beauty routine into a very strict kind of clean beauty routine. I miss scents and, and something that's beyond just like your typical essential oil scent. So uh, it's called Henry Rose and it's actually was created by Michelle Pfeiffer. And I think it's one of the only perfumes that's like 100% uh, backed by the Environmental Working Group um, for having completely clean ingredients. But it does smell, it smells like perfume. It doesn't smell like, I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't smell like your name should be Leaf and that you um, are wearing some type of uh, dial of Birkenstocks. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, not that there's anything wrong with this. I am, I'm super crunchy as you probably gather and I love Birkenstocks and I love the name Leaf, but you know what I mean? It smells 
it's more sophisticated and pretty. And um, I'm testing it out right now. They actually have this sort of sampler pack that I bought that's the entire line of fragrance. There's actually 10 different scents. And I'm playing around with them. I'm not quite sure if I've fallen in love with any of them yet. I will keep you posted on that. But, you know, that's a fun thing. And there are more and more options these days with these beauty products. Um, Another thing we talked about with the xenoestrogens is the receipts at the store which I always, I get worried about the cashiers who are working and who are touching that all day long, like that exposure. Um, I also just like to say, hey, thanks, put the receipt in the bag so that I don't have to grab it from them. That's just a little hack. Avoiding Teflon cookware, the cookware that you use, that's super important too. So go for cast iron, go for ceramic glazed cast iron, like a, like a, Lake Crusade Dutch oven. Amazon has a fantastic alternative, cheaper alternative to that. It's it's not quite as pretty, but it's still pretty. Uh, ceramic pans are great. Um, just avoiding avoiding anything that's non-stick if it's not ceramic and specifically Teflon. Those uh, have a lot of harmful things. And don't drink out of plastic water bottles. When you go to Starbucks, if you're drinking a hot drink, you don't want to drink out of that lid. That's got a lot, you know, BPA. Everybody knows about BPA these days. You don't want to heat plastic containers. Like if you have Tupperware, I've switched everything over to glass containers. But if you have Tupperware, you never want to heat your food in that plastic container in the microwave or something. That's going to definitely leach BPAs. And even these bottles that are, say, plastic-free BPA, those are questionable. The jury is still out on that. And the last thing we'll cover again, which we also talk about a lot, is sleep. You just got to get that sleep. And, you know, I feel for, I feel for so many people, especially the people who have small kids. It's just tough. And you got to get creative. If possible, try to take a nap during the day. If, if you cannot sleep through the night because you're caring for a, a young child or you're breastfeeding a child, um, try to work that in. Work with your partner. Work with your family members or the nanny. Really, really, you've, you've got to make that a priority. And when you do, when you do get that restful sleep, it's going to help you eat better because when you are sleep deprived, your cortisol levels are high, your sugar cravings are going to be higher. I'm sure you've, you've all noticed that. You get a terrible night of sleep and uh, the next day you just have all these weird cravings that you don't typically have. You also might try using an eye mask just so that you have a really dark room minimizing the blue light exposure, so not watching some kind of high-stress crime documentary in the hours before you go to bed or doing that addictive Instagram scroll, that's going to, you know, that's not a great thing to do if you're having sleep issues. Also, another funky little thing that I've been experimenting with again, there's something called mouth taping. (laughs) So if you snore which I've been told I don't snore. 
<laughs> but you know, I don't know. I, since I live alone now, who knows? Um, but, or if you have a partner who snores, this is a really interesting little hack. And what it is, is it's like an X shaped piece of medical tape that you put over your mouth that helps you keep your mouth shut while you're sleeping. So if you wake up in the middle of the night or in the morning and you notice that your throat is dry, you have a partner that tells you that you snore something like that, and, um, you don't get very restful sleep, you may want to experiment with this. It's a super inexpensive thing. I got like a pack of 60 little X mouth tapes on Amazon for a super inexpensive price. And I have been noticing that when I use it, that I do feel more rested in the morning. So that's a fun little sleep hack. If you've tried all the other stuff, you know, the dark room, um, don't eat three hours before bed, minimize your blue light exposure, minimize your stress, don't read like a really intense nonfiction book or like a, a thriller, read something fiction lighter and try to get those seven to nine hours of sleep. Okay. So I guess that's about it for today. Um, I hope that you learned something. I will, you know what, I'll put in the show notes a link to the base culture bread that I love and the mouth tape that I bought on Amazon. And, um, you know, there are some great books that you can read about estrogen dominance. Uh, Magdalena was lucky. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to say it. I'm saying that terribly wrong. Um, she has a wonderful book called Overcoming Estrogen Dominance, and she actually has a specific breast cancer protocol that she uses, and she has a longstanding family history of breast cancer. So she it's a, a cause that's very near and dear to her heart. And she's got a lot of really lovely recipes. They are a little bit more carb heavy than what I eat in my specific diet, but um, they they are delicious recipes and um, beautiful recipes that I think would be appropriate for most breast cancer patients and survivors. And I am so excited about next week's episode because I interviewed the sex coach um, and clinical sexologist Christine D'Angelo. She is a wonderful and hilarious friend of mine. And we are talking about dating and sexuality for breast cancer patients. And um, we touch on some really wonderful things. We also address how to deal with some of the hormonal issues that have sexual ramifications if you are on hormone blockers or if you are dealing with medically induced menopause and I'm just getting older. Um, breast cancer is can be very difficult on couples and like in my personal life as somebody who was in a relationship when I went through it and now I'm not, you know, the idea of dating somebody and having to address the fact that I only have one breast, like these are things that cause me a lot of anxiety and I can imagine that I'm not the only one who's experiencing that. And Christine was a wonderful resource in that. So I can't wait to bring you next week's episode. But um, anyway, like always, 
please find me, please write me. I love hearing from you. It, it really, it, it will literally make my whole day when I hear from you guys. And I truly want to be covering the topics that you want to hear about. So I am very open to suggestion. I am on Instagram and Facebook or hit me up at my website, uh, juniebwell.com. Please share this podcast. Please subscribe write me a positive review. It it all helps uh, spread the word. And I've actually had people reach out to me. I've, there've been a number of breast cancer patients recently diagnosed in my greater circle of friends. And, um, I hope if anybody's listening, I hope that this is bringing you some comfort, helping you feel a little bit more informed about what's going on and offering solutions in survivorship if that's where you're at in your journey. And um, I just, I'm just so honored to be here with you. And I thank you for listening. And as always, I'm wishing you well. <laughs>